Hi, I'm Taryn Winterbrill, host of Bestseller TV on C-Suite Radio. On this show, I sit down with leading business authors to find out what makes their books stand out from the crowd. With thousands of new business books and titles being published each year, we try to make it just a little bit easier for you to decide which ones are worth the read. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bestseller TV. I'm Taryn Winterbrill. We're here with Michael Solomon. He is the author of Marketers, Tear Down These Walls, Liberating the Postmodern Consumer. It's great to have you with us, Michael. Thank you. Great to be here. The title grabs you, obviously a reference to Ronald Reagan, President Ronald Reagan's right. speech um, addressing Gorbachev. How'd you come up with the title? Well, I, I wanted to find something that would express this idea that we are really living in a, in a different world today, just as uh, we were at that time. Sure. Uh, of course, I'm referring more to the marketing world that we're living in and the idea that uh, we have erected a lot of walls uh, as we try to understand customers. We love to put them in, uh, behind walls. We love to categorize them. And that's the fundamental way that we understand them, and that just doesn't work today. Right. Categorization's always been sort of the bedrock of marketing, putting customers into these categories. Right. And I guess the mantra of your book is that we need to get rid of all that. We need to tear down these walls. Is that, That's what the walls refer to, I guess? Exactly. Those are the walls. We okay. need to get rid of them. I'd imagine there's so many walls. How did you pick which walls we need to break through, Michael? Well, I'm going to maybe write about some more walls in the next book. <laughs> right. <laughs> I picked a number of uh, really basic walls that, that we all use in, in the business uh, as a starting point. And, and I think these are some of the most important ones that I write about in the book. Right. And I did want to mention, this is your 12th book. Yes. Something like that, you said? Yeah. And do they all focus on marketing? Uh, marketing and consumer behavior. Okay. That's my specialty, yeah. That's a lot of writing. I'm just curious why you're so passionate about marketing. Well, you know, I'm, I'm trained as a psychologist, and I went into marketing uh, many, many years ago because I'm just fascinated by the everyday activities of people. And, and when we look at how people define themselves, how they decide who they are, how they interact with others, so much of that relates to consumption, mm -hmm. to the consumption choices we make. And so you really can't understand people without understanding the marketplace and how they interact with the marketplace. So right. that's why uh, I chose to focus on consumer behavior and, and especially what we call the deep meanings that products have. And it's fascinating that everyday products, not just luxury items and so on, really have very deep meanings, the reasons that we consume products and services, often we're not even aware of those meanings, but they still have a profound impact on our behavior. Mm -hmm. And you currently teach marketing? I do. I'm a marketing professor at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia. Ah, terrific. Mm -hmm. I mean, you must have seen it all in terms of the gamut of how marketing and these categories have changed over the years with the advent of online and the internet. Yeah. How would you describe it? Well, I don't think the internet is a fad anymore. No. <laughs> it's here to stay. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's had a profound impact on almost everything that we do, uh, both good and bad. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very disruptive influence, and it, it for one, has had an amazing impact on how we think about ourselves. And our, the way that we interact with technology really has, has changed behaviors. And, 
you know, just walking around on the streets and looking at the number of times that people stop on the street to take a selfie or to look at themselves in, in their phones. That drives me nuts, by the way. I don't know about you. <laughs> me too. The narcissism is out of but control, and I just is, don't get it. <laughs> it. It's out of control. But what it tells you is that, that people are constantly, if you will, literally taking pictures of themselves. But also in here, we're taking pictures of ourselves. That is, we're saying, who am I now? And the way we answer that question is often by the products that we use. So we search with consumers and, you know, and we, if I ask you a basic question, which might be, who are you? Mm -hmm. Tell me about yourself. Right. Uh, so many times what people will start with is, well, I am a user of XYZ brands. Right. That's interesting. Would you, that, that's pretty much common to, that's the first thing people say, I use these brands? It's, it's often up there, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, when you ask people, you know, how do you like to spend your time? What's important to you? How do you identify with other people? Uh, very often, the affiliations that we form are based on common usage of brands. You know, you and I are both Harley owners, so mm -hmm. we have a bond that's very difficult to right. break. I love this idea, Michael, of how categories no longer exist. Because it's true, there used to be a, a time or a place in time where you dressed a certain way. Oh, I'm, I'm a conservative dresser right. um, or this type of dresser. But every day of the week, we can wear a different hat and be a different person, which I, you know, there's so much variety now, which I guess goes to your point of you can't really put us in a specific category because we're all becoming hybrids, I guess. Would you say the main reason is because of the internet and everything's become digital? Well, that's, that's definitely a contributing factor. You know, I call it, in the book, I call it the chameleon consumer. You know, we never know every day who we're going to be. Right. Which is interesting, but also a challenge. For you know, marketers. For marketers, it's a huge challenge. And so, obviously, the Internet is driving that. But our culture in general is on fast forward, and we have access to so many other lifestyle alternatives that we didn't used to know about. And so people are eager to experiment. You know, and one reason I talk about the so-called postmodern consumer, what that means is yeah. that uh, you know it's a consumer who no longer is thinking in terms of strict categories. So modernism is about is about categories. When you look at architecture, you t you talk about buildings that are very that are very solid and square and and so on. Um, postmodern buildings are more fluid and they're you know they're just more interesting, I guess. So, you know, there's, a, there's an ancient Chinese curse that says, may you live in interesting times. Mm -hmm. That's a curse. That's and, a curse. That's a curse. Uh, and As because, opposed to not interesting times? Because it means that, it means that every, every day things are interesting in the sense that we don't know exactly what's going to happen. And again, for marketers, we're living in interesting times because we no longer have this assurance or this maybe arrogance that we can just understand our customers because we've classified them as let's say a 25 to 35 year old woman living in a city mm -hmm. that no longer really has any value to c-suite radio I did want to tear through some of these walls that are mentioned in the book. Obviously, we can't get to all of them, and we don't want to because we want people to dive into the book. But you mentioned male versus female. Those categories no longer exist in, in a marketing or from a marketing perspective? Well, the categories no longer exist from a societal perspective and therefore from a marketing perspective. You know, we have 
this tremendous turbulence going on, as, as everyone knows when mm -hmm. we're talking about what it means to be male or female or something else. And so, uh, you know, we have this term gender binarism. Right. And what that means is that you are either male or female, and yet so much of what's going on in our culture and so much of what's going on in people's lives, at least for many people who no longer choose to categorize themselves that way, tells us that that category is probably obsolete. And, you know, we have, uh, we even have states where on your driver's license, you no longer have to declare whether you're male or female. And, mm -hmm. you know, this, again, this creates both challenges and opportunities because we can no longer talk about what men like or what women like or what it means to be a man or a woman. There's so much that's going on that's in flux. And, you know, people, I think, are... Uh, if not confused, they're certainly questioning a lot of this. And if they're questioning it, marketers who create the products that they're yeah. going to want to define themselves as male or female certainly have to question it. Why do we need to get rid of the male-female category? Why can't we just right. add the unigender category? Well, we can't just add a category because it seems like it's more of a continuum. In other words, there's a lot of fluidity. There's what I've seen is a lot of people who are saying, I'm somewhere in between. I'm not necessarily uh, androgynous. I'm not necessarily male or female. And so what we find, and, and we find this in research as well, you know, when we, there are ways to measure what we call androgyny, which is a combination of male and female traits. Right. And, and you find that it's, it's not binary, you know. Hardly anything in the social sciences is binary. It might be in the physical sciences. But when you're studying people, it's not a yes or no, black or white. Okay. Even though our minds want to put us into categories and say yes or no, black or white, that doesn't correspond to the reality. Right. But that said, are you saying that those and that androgynous group is now the majority, more than traditional male, female categories? Well, it's certainly a growing sector, and it's certainly one that is kind of punching above its weight in terms of its impact on the culture. You know, when we look at, for example, transgender uh, fashions and TV shows, we have transgender actors. Right. Uh, fashion magazines are including transgender uh, models, you know, we have a, a, a tremendous amount of, and of course the, you know, the whole gay and lesbian movement, uh, which is which is gaining steam and you know uh, getting more powerful every every day. So uh, there's so much going on in the culture that that just to to try to assign it to A or B right. doesn't make any sense. In the courses that you teach, how often do you have to change? Your, your course load and, and <laughs> well, I'll the tell textbooks you, uh, you're, you're using, I, I guess. I happen to write the textbooks that, <laughs> that, I, that I use, and I have to update them every two years. Okay. I thought you were going <laughs> to say every two minutes. <laughs> which, well, that, that's what my which, publisher wants. but Right. Uh, <laughs> which it might be coming to that. Um, yeah. You have some interesting titles in the book that grab you, something called The Rise of the Hive Mind, and that falls under the me versus we wall to break down. What do you mean right. by that? Well, what I see, and I, you know, when I talk to my students, this comes out as well, um, the fundamental way that we make decisions about what to buy is changing. And you know, we, we've tracked this for many years, that people go through a set of, of steps when they decide. They, many, many purchases, not all, um, are a process, not just you wake up one day and you, and you buy a blouse. 
you go through a process. Mm -hmm. And that process usually culminates with getting some kind of feedback from others about how you did. You know, do you like this or should I return it? <laughs> right. Uh, and what we're seeing today is that there's a really, really important change there that marketers need to understand. And that is that that feedback that we're asking for is coming much, much earlier in the process. What I find is that uh, for in, in many cases, we're, we're making decisions e even about what to order on a menu, uh, certainly what to buy in a store, based on what our network tells us. So people are checking in with their BFFs, you know, they're checking in online, uh, they're taking pictures of, a, let's say, a garment before they buy it rather than after and saying, right. what do you guys think? Is this something that would look good on me? And therefore, what's happening is, the reason I call it a hive mind is that we are basically plugging into this collective that we call the internet, right. you know, that we call all the bloggers and all of the Facebook posts and all the other things on social media, we're basically tapping into that and getting that feedback before we buy rather than after. Right, it's tapping into this sort of constant immersion of social media. Right. So how does the process change then, and you as a marketer, what do you do to adapt to that? Well, you, you have to be aware, for example, if you're a retailer, you have to understand that if you have a bricks and mortar store, um, if you're still one of those people. Right. <laughs> Who? What did you say? <laughs> How do you pronounce uh, when, that? When someone walks into your store, they often know what they're going to buy at that before moment they, right, before they walk, they've walked in. Very interesting point. So right. if you're waiting for them to walk in and then you're going to do your usual sales stuff to get them to buy this, that's probably not a very good idea. Right. Uh, you need to in insert yourself into the process well before that. So uh, you need to start injecting yourself into the conversation at the point where people are accessing that information. And that's when they're online, when they're, uh, when they're looking at what the bloggers say, when they're looking at what their Facebook network mm -hmm. says. So you, you really need to move what Google calls this the zero moment of truth. Right, the ZMOT. The ZMOT, yeah. yes. And the ZMOT used to be at the end, you know, right. but now it's much, much closer to the beginning. So I tell people, here's a good trivia question for you if you're ever at a cocktail party. We know that Google is the biggest search engine in the world, but what's the second biggest search engine? And the answer is YouTube. Mm. So what that means is that people are not just looking at funny cat videos. What they're doing is if they, when they want to buy something, a home theater system, a new blouse, whatever, uh, a new uh, a vacation, they are actually typing it into YouTube as well and bringing up videos of everyday people who are talking about the vacation that they went on. Right. Yeah, there's yeah. so many different um, just avenues right now. But it really runs the gamut in terms of marketing. Obviously, we mentioned garments and clothing, but food. People are going into a restaurant knowing what they want to order ahead of time because they've seen the videos and the pictures on social media and seeing the suggestions right. and how to order it and what not to do, and even sometimes secret things off the menu. Right. So exactly. it's really, yeah. the game is evolving moment to moment, right. and I'm excited I can't, to see where it goes. I'd mm -hmm. imagine that you must be ecstatic because this is your 
you know, yeah, your focus well, and, and your and specialty. I should point out, not only are they finding out what they want to order beforehand, when the dish comes to the table, they're carefully taking a photo of it right. and posting it, and then they're allowed to eat. So, yeah. um, you know, the, the whole thing is being captured on, on film, mm -hmm. and, and so we're becoming much more public. And so, again, this, this wall that I refer to in the book, Me Versus We, has largely gone away because it, for so many hours of our day, at least for a lot of people, they are on camera. Right. It's never-ending. Constant surveillance. Constant surveillance. Uh, there's seven walls, right, in the book? Yes. Uh, lucky number seven. They're terrific. And I, I feel like when I was reading it, it's stuff that I know about, but seeing it in writing puts it in a different perspective. So bravo. And I can't wait for book number 13, because there are more walls to <laughs> break are. down. So, there's plenty of walls. So no shortage of walls. We, yeah. we can't wait uh, for more yeah. walls. Thank you for being here, Michael. <laughs> Thank you. If you'd like more information on the book and the walls, just check out our website. It's csweetbookclub.com, c-sweetbookclub.com. I'm Taryn Winterbrill. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time right here on Bestseller TV. Like what you just heard? Visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>